first of all, I don't want to live forever. Do you want to live forever, Saul? Oh, God, yeah. Of course I do. See, that's crazy to me. I'm afraid of dying, but I am not. I, I have no interest in living forever. That, to me, is hell. People are like, what's heaven like? What's hell like? Hell, to me, is never dying and having to live on the earth forever. Not to mention the fact that, like, now, look, am I a hypocrite? Yes. And is the way that this podcast could actually get big Facebook? Yes. And am I going to join Facebook to do that? No. I would rather literally stand here and yell into a microphone and have no one hear it than get on Facebook. Because if you're on Facebook, you're a fucking loser. That's the fundamental truth. And if I have to hear about how my mom... just insulted 1.4 billion people. Fine. Something like that. Fine. What are they doing? What are they doing on there? Nobody knows. Guten Tag from Landline Headquarters in Watertown, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the show. So excited to have you. It is June, early June 2016. Sorry for the delay on the pods, but we're back and better than ever. Everyone's got to learn microeconomics at some point, right? So uh, thanks for listening. Today on the show, Saul, lots of topics. Amber Heard, Johnny Depp battle. Uh, that's probably not exactly the nicest way to put it. Gawker, Peter Thiel battle. Um, and I battle with my aunt during a toast at our family reunion. Exciting stuff. Anxiety, anger, uh, things we probably shouldn't say on the internet. So, you know, here it is. If you're looking to find a reason to not hire me or find a reason to pillar a political campaign in 2039... This is the episode for you. You can stop You can stop searching, researcher. Wait, every episode is that. So really, just make a little montage. Look for new episodes on Mondays and Fridays all summer long. 10 a.m. Eastern release time. Look for episode 50 coming up. New equipment, new sound effects, new bits. I'm telling you, landlines, we're in, the, we're in for the long haul. This isn't a little, this isn't a tech stock. Okay, we're not going to crash and burn. Our beautiful theme music is by the Pitchfork Revolution. Google them. They're out of Bend, Oregon, playing a family-friendly festival in your neck of the woods this summer. I am Alex McKay, host, producer, and your master lord. Enjoy the show. Landline. Happy Memorial Day, Alex. Happy Memorial Day to you, Saul. It's the start of the summer season. I was just going to ask if you knew who it was. Sounds like you did. Of course. Although the phone rings often, and I can't keep everyone straight, your voice is so familiar to me that there's no way I'd mistake it. Well, look, I want to say it's uh, it's good to be back on the landline. It's been a while. We're not we're not going to pretend that didn't happen. But I like to think that it's all the sweeter for its absence. We both strongly believe that if given the option to podcast every day on a regular schedule, that our fans could you know set their watches by, we would do it in a second. There's nothing that would stop us from turning our entire life into one 
mediocre content creation company. But it just sometimes the cookie just doesn't crumble that way. No, nope, but I think it's going to be crumbling a lot this summer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to far more podcasting than anyone really wants. Yeah, Landline Podcast is known internationally for not being able to keep its promises, but we are going to promise a lot of podcasting from Memorial Day to Labor Day and and beyond. And we're approaching the 50th episode, and the 50th episode is a landmark occasion in um, this podcaster's book because I promised myself I would have a, a equipment upgrade um, at the 50th episode, and Lucky enough for me, my um, sole potential investor is podcasting with me right now, so I think we might have something in the works. Well, look, I, I got a blank check ready. Let's just plug in the numbers and, and get the equipment going. Because yeah. obviously, once we have the equipment, it'll make us funnier and smarter and more articulate. Yeah, and it'll ob- obviously make us keep our schedule as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so it's good but, to be back. What's what's new? Memorial Day weekend. It's sunny. It might even be sunny in Boston. Um, things are good. People are running around buying steaks to put on the grill. I'm not in that crowd, but I wish I was. What are you up to? There's motorcycle people outside, finally. One just rode by. Um, cops are stopping brown-skinned people in Concord, Massachusetts, and acting inappropriately towards them. I observed that about half an hour ago. Um, so yeah, the summer is upon us. Now, I will say we have a pretty packed show today, but I was wondering if we should just scrap everything we've planned and talk exclusively about Johnny Depp beating his wife over the last four years, which is hot <laughs> off the presses. Well, we, we could. I mean, that's, that's major news coming out of Hollywood or France or wherever they live. Um, I hear there's going to be some shared custody of their dogs, uh, one, one of I whom here there is no prenup. One of a what? One of one of the dogs has not been spoken for. Like one of the dogs is missing. I don't know if it like took all the ambient in the house and stole one of the Mercedes and is just like down in Palm Springs or what it's doing. But um, <laughs> so I hope so. So Saul, before we get into the the fact that there's no prenup, and I'm just kidding. This isn't what we're going to talk about. But it is fascinating. Do you think that being a superb actor and not, you know, you might not like Johnny Depp movies, et cetera, et cetera. He is someone who... I love them, on the contrary. Well, some people are not Johnny Depp fans. However, he is an actor of a certain level in terms of not stardom in Hollywood, but his acting. Like, he's... I don't know if he's technically a method actor, but he really gets into it. Do you think that it's impossible to be... or? I'll, I'll turn that question around. I think it's impossible to be an actor on that level and be any semblance of a normal person. And it doesn't mean that you're a complete shitbag, which it turns out he is. I mean, if he's been emotionally and physically abusing her for four years, which she claimed, and I immediately... Okay, but, okay, but just, just interject. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take sides here, but this, this is a claim. This is, this is, as of now, this is not you know, proven in court. Send him to prison. Could you? There's a world where you can imagine him being pretty crazy when he get when he got home from work, though, right? I'm just uh, sure. I, I I can sure absolutely. I can I can also say that this is this is not someone who like in the tabloids has been you know popping up every three years for like you know abusive behavior. You know, it seems like he's led a pretty sort of sedate life in terms of that. 
And again, I'm not trying to take sides or anything like that. Uh, only the two of them probably know exactly what happened, plus that dog is in Palm Springs by now. But I do think it's worth keeping the scales relatively balanced this early on. Okay, fine, but there, there is this. It, it, I let's find who, who else, who do we know, who do we know to be a, 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 a serial abuser? And a, let's how about Bill Cosby? Now he wasn't. Well, yeah, a, I think he kind of created his own level. Yeah, and he's not really a good actor. So I guess what I'm, I, I think of Johnny Depp. Let's just project to say that Johnny Depp or someone of Johnny Depp's uh, acting ability is this is this abusive at home. And then you look at Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was net, who was supposed to be a great husband. He lived with a costume designer or something like that. His wife. He had kids. He had an unassuming life. Um, and he was horribly depressed and a heroin addict. I don't know which came first. I just, I, I don't think, I, I'm trying to get to the psychology of it. Can your job be to pretend to be somebody else and then be yourself? Don't you just, don't the lines get blurred? Isn't that it? If you spend 35 years of your life acting like other people, getting into the psychology of other people, thinking about how to play other people, don't you lose sense of who you are? I mean, isn't that a fundamental reality of acting? It could be. It could be. And if, if, if I was an actor, then I'd be able to give you a better answer. Uh, I've always been bad at acting. But look, I, th- I think that obviously there's something to be said about the fact that if you're Johnny Depp, does anyone really want you to get home at like 5 p.m. in the afternoon and have a glass of white wine and like go read the newspaper until it's time for bed? Is that what he's supposed to be doing? No. I mean, I... You have, and you also have to say, if you, if you marry one of these people female celebrity, male celebrity, you know, whatever it is. But if you marry one of these people, aren't you kind of understanding that you're, you know, fastening onto a rocket ship and it's going to be a little more abnormal than if you marry your high school sweetheart? Well, I think that there is a Hollywood, uh, you know, um, rocket ship or or, um, launch pad. That's what I meant. There's like a Hollywood launch pad for the craziness. Like, and again, all this is made up, but let's just pretend it's right because that's what a, a, being a podcaster is all about. You think of Ian McKellen, who is considered probably the greatest living stage actor in England right now. He's obvi- uh, he's also Dumbledore, right? And he's played in a million... Or no, was he Dumbledore? No, he wasn't Dumbledore, but he was the uh, the wizard, the white wizard in, in um, Lord of the Rings. I, I think, let's, let's face it, I think any time... There's a wizard. He's probably that guy. Okay, right. He's Mr. Wizard. And he's also, and he's, and he's, was a gay rights guy in the 70s. And, um, you know, or maybe he's a gay rights guy now. And he talked about how hard it was in the 70s. Listen, I've listened to the NPR interviews. So whatever the details are, they're there. But I think he spends his time, like, probably gardening and doing pottery. Now, he might have the exact same level of understanding of how fucked up everything in the world is as Johnny Depp or as Philip Seymour Hoffman. He might have seen when you're that perceptive at becoming somebody else, you are also that perceptive of how humans are, and that can be horribly depressing. But I think if you're in Hollywood, it's a lot easier to channel that into like an eighth gin and tonic at Chateau Marmont and like, you know, lines of Coke and Lindsay Lohan's hotel room when you're 49 years old versus deciding that you're gonna like 
go into some chateau in France you bought and like work on pottery in the basement. I mean, I just think that the American Hollywood launchpad turns that perceptive depression of being an actor into a much scarier beast um, full of gates. Well, Johnny Depp literally had a chateau in France and he lived quite sedately there with his with his partner for many years. Ugh, God, you're the worst. So he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't the guy in, in Lindsay's suite, you know. With well, yeah, but Saul, he's had like 50 girlfriends in the last 20 years, and his reputation is that he's a complete douchebag. He's bag. had two. He's had two. Look it up. He's a had... long-term domestic partner of some sort followed by this one. All right. So, well, let me sit, let me tell you, he's definitely trending right now. Cool. I'm, just, I'm just saying there's, there's a difference between Johnny Depp and Johnny Manziel. All right, John. That's good. Well said. Um, hopefully there is. Okay, so then who who is the actor that I'm describing? That's the Johnny Manziel. Like who is the nightmare, very famous actor that's completely ostracized himself from society because of his inability to, you know, um, keep it relatively normal. Well, I I think they. I mean, you could create a conglomerate out of like the following. I think you could take. One part of Mel Gibson, who, you know, more or less is just a raging, raging, anti-Semitic racist, and everyone just kind of gets that. And no one, no one really seems desperate to hang out with Mel these days or put him on camera. And then I think you could take one part, maybe Russell Crowe, who everyone acknowledges is a terrific, talented actor and kind of an asshole, right? I mean, he's the guy who's going to, like, punch the bellhop in the nose at the hotel when he checks in because his room wasn't cold enough. Right. Yep. And then you have, and then, and then you have, I don't know, one of, one of the, one of the younger ones, um, who it's just kind of acknowledged to be like, uh, and I'll think of a name in a minute, but just one of, one of these like 20 somethings who just runs around and thinks that they're hot shit because like Steven Spielberg put him in a movie by the time he celebrated his 21st birthday. Do we think DiCaprio is going to stay on the good side of uh, Maniac? I mean, he certainly has his faults. Oh yeah. Look, okay. if, if DiCaprio was going to go down in flames, he, he would have done it. He would have done it in the like five years after Titanic came out. All right. Well, but instead, he just had a really fantastic time. Look, I think I think the person you're really talking about. Um, is Lindsay Lohan, except she's, she's not a male actor as far as we know, but she she kind of fits the bill on everything else we're talking well, about. Well, she's not a good actor, though. I mean, she never pro- she never truly... I, I guess she was good in uh, Mean Girls, and, you know... People, people would make a case that she had a lot of talent and that things could have gone very differently for her. Right. I, I think it's got to... I think my... She's like... She, she is like the Johnny Manziel of the acting world. Someone who had a lot of talent, who had, like, an incredibly precocious early start, and someone who, it's the general consensus, probably could have been anywhere from, like, very good to, like, amazing if they completely applied themselves day in and day out. Yeah. What about Christian Bale? What do we know about him? Uh, he just seems kind of awesome, you know? He plays, he plays superheroes and trades off with playing gritty you know, a dramatic roles. Um, he stays in great shape. He doesn't have any problem probably taking his shirt off at Memorial Day for a beach picnic. And he just kind of chugs along, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think something? he's I think he's completely bizarre. I do not think he, you know, is like up on the NBA playoffs at, at that picnic with his shirt off. I mean, I think he's. I think that there's a weird acting thing. I think that there is some level of being able to be a good actor where you can no longer be. It's like, it's like an inception where once your dreams become so real and important to you, you can't go back to reality. And I think that once you become an incredible actor that you really don't know how to just be yourself. I mean, I think that's what everyone said about De Niro forever, right? That he's like completely boring and stale in real life. Um, I don't know if everyone said that, but I, mean, I also don't, you know. But here, but he, that's a good example. But of like, something. what? But what do people define as boring? Do they define as boring like if you're not if you're not getting arrested for blacking out in a nightclub or like crashing your Ferrari, then you're not really worth talking to. No, Saul. But it's like you, you and I right now are exhibiting like a relatively great level of like intellectual debate that I think everyone should share with their friends and pass along. Send them to talkforaliving.com or SoundCloud.com. Well, of course, we're articulate, intellectual, hyper emotional people. <laughs> but if we spent all of our emotion and our intelligence on the stage and getting new parts and becoming some. 1950s baseball player who was like rum running to Cuba or whatever the hell people were doing, then I just don't know if, I mean, it must also be exhausting to deal with regular people. I don't know. We've wasted, we've wasted, we've, we're, comp- I've completely, what we, what we have to do, what we have, to, what we have to do is revisit this topic in six to 12 months when we have a best selling podcast and we can invite like five A list celebrities to call in and tell us about their experiences and then we'll just know the answer. With Johnny Depp, I mean, I think Johnny Depp's going to get found guilty. That's what I think. But I'm, I'm, I think, I, I think, I think, I think the train is very far from that station. Right, and I mean, this is the, this is the same, this is a different iteration of the same argument I had with someone we both know about the Duke Lacrosse um, fiasco, where I fundamentally said that the true crime of um, that night when they had that stripper over and at the time allegedly sexually assaulting her her was not that they had sexually assaulted her, but um, that their parents had had them in the first place, although I said it more articulately then. The true crime was that their parents procreated. That's what I said after like my fifth and a half beer to someone who knew all those kids and knew that they were all guilty. Or excuse me, were all not guilty. So <laughs> I was going to say, someone... Some would say the true crime was that they were falsely accused of rape and their lives were ruined. Right, but I just don't... The true crime was that they were, you know, had short haircuts and played lacrosse. I mean, let's be honest. Look, we were, were we to go to Duke, we would have been friends with them, uh, and we probably would have not been invited to join the lacrosse team. Lax bros. All right, well... Yeah, um, lax bros. Let's get into it, Saul. Um... It's Memorial Day. It's hot in Boston. I, you know, you know, I hate being part of a cliche. That's why I'm not on Facebook. That's why I uh, drive by and uh, and detest a long line at a place with delicious food and tell everyone it's not as good as they think it is. That's why I don't get the new app. That's why I talk shit about Uber and then use it 18 months after everyone else. But to be to be a cliche, there really isn't any spring anymore. It went from, you were actually visiting, we had an opportunity to do a live podcast that our listeners should just imagine was incredible and has never been recorded or released, and it was 
43 and pouring rain for, I mean, what's 5 times 24? It's got to be, it's 120. 120 hours straight. Um, you know, all, all I know is that that weather was, was pretty bad. So, I, and I hate to be the person who says, this is why I live in California and it's not why I live in California, but you, a week like that does make you think California is not terrible. And that was like beginning of May, which in New England is not spring. Like spring, right. you can call it spring, I guess, the 15th. But then anyways, then it turned on this week. At the beginning of this week, it was all of a sudden 90. Um, so it's hot here. And um, everyone's playing that game where they complain about how it's too cold for eight months. And then they complain about how it's too hot for four months. So. As a spe- Turns out people like to complain. Yeah. As well, a... so speaking of complaining, here's here's my thing. What I don't like about Memorial Day is that it makes you feel bad if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing on Memorial Day. So if you're not with a group of like 15 people barbecuing on a beach, or if you're not going to some like awesome clam and lobster bake, or if you're not going on a really cool road trip like up the coast or something like that, and if you're not doing any of those and you're just at home doing normal stuff on a weekend, you feel guilty about it. And that's why I don't like Memorial Day, and that's why I don't like a lot of holidays, because I don't like being made to feel guilty. I mean, you made me just think a few things. Number one, I just finally traced back to my youth why Memorial Day has never been important to me, and it's because of the Dartmouth Cup, which is growing up I played spring soccer every year from let's say ages 8 through ages 18 and the Dartmouth Cup was a two-day tournament that happened the Saturday and Sunday of a Memorial Day huge youth soccer tournament that took over every soccer field in our hometown of which there are many and as a kid as like a little kid you played in these short like 30-minute games um on maybe on half fields and you but there were like 16 of them going on at one time and the whistle would blow and then you'd have 20 minutes off and then you'd have 20 minutes back on and they had this massive scoreboard with all the games going on and it was so fun and teams came from boston and maine and vermont and it was like the new england youth soccer cup it was great and then as an older kid, you got to play full-length games, and you would get seated in, like, a, a round-robin of four. But that made it virtually impossible to ever go anywhere then because I always played soccer. So my parents must have just given up on Memorial Day. And so I've never – and then you had the Monday off. You would play two days, and then you get a whole Monday off to have, like, whatever, a nice dinner on the back porch – And then you go back to school on Tuesday, and it was kind of the mark of the last March to the end of school. Do you remember how awesome that was when it was like the last three weeks of school and how you were through Memorial Day and you knew it was coming to an end? Um, And it's funny when, I mean, I'm all over the place, but when we went to school, there was never that impending doom of like you have to pass these series of tests to get to the next grade. I never had anxiety at the end of, of youth school years. I never had like a huge exams it never went like that you just kind of like did your work as you went along and then it ended it was such a such a much more peaceful way of ending the year yeah i mean i think we were more worried about like passing our like final series of bong hits in mitch's garage at 2 p.m (laughs) that's true or finally actually hooking up with a girl i think that um yeah i mean the the nostalgia of, of 
school and childhood is, is powerful because because back then time actually mattered. It, it didn't just shoot by like a like a Japanese bullet train, uh, and the end of the year meant something. It did. Now it doesn't really mean anything. It did. I mean, maybe we should start a cult of people who just live by the school year. I guess they're called teachers. Um, but like, instead of all this like New Year's resolution stuff, I mean, I've always felt that the New Year really started in September. It does. It does in a way. Uh, I'm on a pretty academic schedule, and I I, I do feel like September is when things kind of kick off. But Memorial Day now to me means like a bunch of honkies getting into traffic, and uh, you know, you talk about all that stuff. I mean, I think that. There's something to be said about the middle class celebration of Memorial Day, which is like, first of all, let's remember we're, we're, we haven't mentioned once what Memorial Day is for, which is not a celebratory time. It's a time to remember all the people who have died. Well, um, I'm just going to bring that up. It's, it's the funniest thing that it's, it's, it's not a particularly happy holiday. It's literally dedicated to the remembrance of all the people who died to preserve our freedom and or because we wanted to go to war in random countries. I feel like Memorial Day originally, let's just look it up, was actually a World War One thing. Decoration Day after the American Civil War in 1868. Uh, right, it's, just, it's all now just turned into consumerism, right? It's the beginning of the season to sell Kingsford Charcoal, which is owned by Clorox. It's the beginning of the season to go to Home Depot and get a bunch of like yard devices that put the worst kind of ozone um, cutting emissions into the into the world. It's a time to gas up and sit in traffic, blast your air conditioning, try to ruin the national grid. I mean, these are the things that truly buy some plastic furniture that's made in China. These are the things we celebrate on Memorial Day. But I was going to say, like, it's not a bad gig to stay home Tomorrow I'm going to plant a bunch of flowers and, and uh, not flowers, a bunch of, um, you know, tomatoes, peppers, a, a mini garden and all these planter boxes I have and uh, cook some good food and sort of hang around the house. I feel like it's a good day to like clean the screens and like Windex the storm windows and put them up and like organize yourself for the summer versus like, let's get out of here and go someplace and party. You never really get yourself it's kind of a nice time to, to celebrate the start of the summer by staying home and doing a couple of things around the house. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, and I just, I hate going somewhere when everyone else is going somewhere. Right. So We can refer right back to our, our Bolinas podcast if, if no one believes me. Right. Check out the podcast about soul surfing and Bolinas. Well, I had a, I had a family trip away last weekend. Um... Now, do we want to get to that? Do you want me to keep talking, or do you want to complain about some more stuff? Where Where are we at now? Give me Give me a recap. Let's let, Let's each dwell on last weekend for a minute or two. Okay, great. So I had and a. We can uh, just keep talking about Johnny Depp. No, he he's not worth our time. Uh, we're this is like a no celebrities podcast. We're gonna this is gonna be the first podcast where we become celebrities as a result of doing a podcast without becoming without having a celebrity on. 
so I went on a what I now call family reunion. So I, I've discovered a way when you're talking to somebody at work or you're talking to a friend that you don't really care about explaining it to or whatever, and you're going to see family someplace like the lake house or the cabin or you know the coast or whatever it is you're into, or you're going to meet everyone in New York City, wherever, whatever is happening. Just call it a family reunion. That's the way to go. It, it has this gravitas that, oh, a family reunion. It's like they don't say that, but they, they can't turn you down. They understand. It sounds like you're getting 75 people from your clan in Scotland together at a resort hotel, and you're going to meet like a cousin that you might may or may not actually be related to and you kind of think is hot, you know? Like it, it has a lot going for it that kind of ends a lot of the question and answer period. So... I had a family reunion, but it was really just immediate family that I know quite well, and um, it was to celebrate a step-cousin's wedding that happened last year that uh, a lot of us couldn't go to. So we went to, to Nantucket, that's right, this is a, a podcast powered by Wasps, and um, we had a nice time, it was supposed to be a quiet weekend, but it was the wine festival there, um, and we'll talk more about wine later, so there were a lot of people in town. But anyways, we had a really good time, top to bottom, really fun, went to the brewery, cooked some food, drove around in the old Buick that my grandparents used to own and like is still going strong, um, you know, took walks with the dogs, everyone just did their thing, ate, drank beers in the middle of the day, played badminton in the backyard, it was great. But I All had right, this situation. good so far. Yeah, sounds great, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm the only male cousin. This is my mom's side of the family. And, like, I just can't pa- get past the fact that, like, all these people pretty much have a complete right to think I'm a major asshole. Um, you know, I've always talked too much at family gatherings. I've always talked too loudly. Um, they ask me a question, and f- an hour and 15 minutes later, I'm still talking about it. And usually it's, like, about how local tomatoes are going to solve the, the wor- world's problems. Um, Which they might. And, uh, and, and, you know, concurrently, I've never made any money. Um, all of them are professionals who take sacrifices to make money, to live a lifestyle, to, you know, they can't come to every weekend getaway. They can't always meet everybody in Maine. They can't do this. They can't do that because they work for a living. And I've managed to, you know, sort of write a movie script, move to Oregon, start a pizza cart that didn't make any money, come back across the country for all these events sell the pizza cart, not really make any money, go to Portland, do this, do that. Now I'm going to, you know, business school. Now I'm proud of the last 10 years of my life and I can defend them. I didn't know you wrote a movie script. Well, yeah. I mean, I helped write a movie script. Do you want to get nitpicky about that? Just, just a passing thought. Continue. All right. Well, are you saying you, you genuinely didn't know about that or you, you're trying to make sure that I keep myself honest? Well, I, I, I knew you were involved in different film projects. I, I didn't know that you helped to do that. But any, anyway, we'll, we'll go All right, back well, for the, the better part of a year, I sat in a one-room office with an Israeli and helped him rewrite his movie script, which did get made into a movie with, with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Catherine Keener and Christopher Walken. And I would say that there are that I had a significant impact on the script, and there are lines that I wrote that are in the movie. So Okay, that's fair. So now my credit on IMDb is that it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, something like office manager. Um, 
So, which I was. I did the FedEx too. Um, so, so whatever. We had a great time, but it's just like I, I. The problem too is that we always drink too much at these things, and you know I always get on uh, in the car on the boat, whatever it is, going to the place on the plane, and say to myself, "I'm just, not." Just to interject, really, just to interject, really quick. I did just look up Alex McKay on IMDb, and it says you're an actress who starred in two films. One of them, Angel, and one of them, Naughty Neighbors, with a real party here. Whoa. Now, so, you and you, you missed... have a namesake out there, and, and she's a Naughty Neighbor. <laughs> and not to mention my male namesake, who's a famous chef. I think you're pretty well covered, yeah. I think you probably spelled my name wrong, Saul. Um, so, anyways, look, we had a great time. But I had it. I had a couple of situations where I woke up on. We left early on Sunday morning, and I put myself in a position where I felt horribly guilty until like Sunday night, Monday morning. Now it was the kind of guilt that you would get after college, after going out in New York City and like drinking too much and talking to girls, and you know saying like Jew twelve times in an hour and a half, thinking people thought it was funny. Or, um, you know, making a pass at someone who was completely not into you and you had totally misread. And just feeling like the next day, instead of being like, well, don't do that again. Like, wanting to reach out via text message or email and apologize for everything. You know, that feeling. Like, if I can just... Look, I, I don't think I had a single day out of the approximately 380 days I lived in New York where I didn't wake up with that feeling. And, and so the question is, well, what did I do? Well, I was perfectly fine the whole weekend, and I know that my family loves me very much, but my aunt gave this really nice toast um, to all of us, and my family's just not very good at, like, toasting. My mom's side and my dad, too. Like, no one's good at saying something. Everyone is incredibly smart and well-read and are good writers, but they don't take to the big moment very well. So she gave a very sweet, rambling celebration of not only the two guests of honor, but young people in general. And she listens to the podcast, so she'll hear this, but I'm not I'm not worried about it. She loves the podcast, by the way. A lot of positive feedback on the podcast. Um, and, and so then Anna, my lovely wife, decided she would also give a toast. And she gave one, and we all said, yay to her right after. And then I said in the silence of all of us listening to each other, like, and thanks for showing them how to give a real toast. Wow. Wow. Which, and look, I bet she gives a great toast. Which I somehow meant to be, like, something that everyone would understand. But it came off kind of like at your wedding where you where you toasted her parents to thank them for paying for the wedding. Oh, God. Did I do that? Of course you did, yeah. Now, so should I be embarrassed about that? Oh, you should be embarrassed just because I think that your only job when you get married on that particular day is to do what you want and say what you want and, and tie the knot. You know, I, I think the only way you should be embarrassed is if you wake up not married or something. <laughs> But um, but I've always remembered that comment, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. 
But so here's a question, Saul. Do you think people like me because I act like that, or do they? Is it like if if someone if people in the world are grading me that they I get an eighty nine and I would have gotten a ninety six, but the seven percent is because I always manage to kind of put my foot in my mouth. Look, the best I can say is that there's probably people in the world who like you more because of that, and I put myself in that category. And there's probably people in the world who like you less. And I might put one of your cousins in that category. <laughs> no, no, my cousins. I mean, it's just like, and then my aunt, I apparently asked my wife and my sister, like, I thought I did a good job. And wow, so you really, you really stuck a dagger right in there her security complex right when she had stepped up as the youngest sister and chosen to give a toast which is exactly so your, so, which is so let's, exactly let's be the behavior i support sorry let's, sorry let's be about your let's be honest about your motives were you were you saying your comment in true true genuine simple, simply desire to to get a laugh to have people having fun or was there some small part of you that was really kind of shooting an arrow. No, that what I wanted to do was I wanted to hold a symposium on how to give a toast because I felt like every single person in the room is capable of one. Meanwhile, I have a cousin in the room who is the sister to a cousin who got married two summers ago who gave one of the best toasts. I know that there's 100,000 million people on earth who feel this way. But she, whatever, she had, she had 200 people in a wedding tent many of whom had no idea who the others were, you know, bowled over with laughter. Um, and it ended with her, her sister does like, had done competitive weightlifting at one point, and she unearthed a cardboard cutout of, of the bride in a singlet. Um, wow. Like a life-size singlet. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievably funny. But Wait, here's, here's the thing, Alex. No... So nobody, nobody likes nobody likes being told that they're bad at something, and that goes double if it's in public, and it goes quadruple if it's something that they're actually not good at. So if you have someone who who secretly knows or worries that they're not good at giving a toast, and then in public you say, "Hey, that wasn't such a good toast," that's that's going to happen. No, the toast was great. What I'm trying to say, I'm trying to give a confidence booster. I want everyone to recognize that they are capable and that they do give great toasts and to go for it. Because she was, <laughs> she was qualifying herself during the toast. Like, I, like, uh, you know. Right, she was, she was insecure and you highlighted that insecurity. Right. Trying to bright light on it and then like tripped her. Instead of, instead of doing what I set out to do, which was to like support her. But the the interesting thing is that you brought this up not not talking not wondering if she felt bad the next day, but talking about how you felt bad the next day. Yeah, and and I've already like gotten from Anna that she doesn't feel bad or that she that I have to stop worrying about it. But why do I spend the whole day like? Do we think could researchers link alcohol to the guilt? Is the oh yeah is there I mean, a come on, that's, that's, I think it would be a lot harder to argue the other way. So there's got to be like some synapse that's like gotten blown out and it's like it's like a fuse where like an old fashioned fuse that shatters and you have to like flip the switch and it takes 24 full hours to f or unscrew the old fuse and screw a new one in 
And and that's like always been a, an incredible balance of alcohol abuse, like especially in college. It's like if you feel like you acted horribly the night before or anytime at a cocktail party, at a dinner party, it takes a good 24 hours and for some people longer to finally get your confidence back. Um, but I mean, this is why I've always, you know, like just for example, like if, if we were silver miners in Colorado in 1860 and we were talking about this, it would, it would be a very different story. I mean, I, I think in, in that community, for instance, you'd probably feel like toxic shame if, like, you found out that, that the person you shot during the bar fight the night before was, like, a six-year-old child who had wandered and was asking for food. You know, I mean, there was, like, a very, very high level there. Um, a lot of stuff went, and they probably woke up with a hangover, feeling that they'd behave perfectly normally and excited for next Saturday night. So I think that maybe we just live in a society where we're a little too civilized when it comes to that. Basically, the worst part about this situation is I can't get out of it. I can't undo what I did, and I can't. Exp- it seems to be that I can't explain to every anybody where I was coming from and make it sound like I was actually trying to do the right thing. Um, well, no, I, I think you explained succinctly and and eloquently where you were coming from. But we're you're, you're acknowledging yourself that it it failed to carry over and that gap is what produced the wellspring of your toxic shame. And I'm just such a, you know, I'm such a pompous, cocky asshole. I walk away from these events with friends, family, you know, classmates, people, people I'm in small groups with for the most part. And I'm like, man, I really respect in my head on the drive home or then, you know, a week later while I'm sitting outside on my porch Gosh, I really respect those people. Like, I really like hanging out with them. I love the in the case of my family, I love those people so much. I had so much fun last weekend. This and that and that. And yet, I wonder whether or not they're like, "Well, wait till we see Alex again, and he'll be an obnoxious asshole for forty-eight hours." <laughs> well, look, I, I think you'd have to do a bit more before before it really got to the sort of persona non grata level that you're suggesting. I think you'd have to go pretty far beyond the pale. Yeah. <laughs> So that was my little emotional, uh, you know, voyage to times of yore. I mean, I think alcohol is involved, and uh, what what is what is it to do? Um, you know, is it you know there? I'm I have the ability to not drink, and I've done it several nights this week, but um, I'm not sure I'm so great at uh, you know. Going on well, like, look, I'm, I, I will tell you, though, I'm, I, I'm one of the few people in our circle to have actually attended functions, family affairs, and even weddings sober. And I, I can tell you it's, it's just about every bit as bad as, as any toxic shame you feel when you're drunk. So if that makes you feel better, it should. Yeah, I mean, I just hope... People who are close to you, everyone who's close to everyone in the world, whoever is close to you and whoever you're close to, just try to, you know, emit a general acceptance of love and, and uh, you know, flexibility. And I know that probably everyone does, but it, there's no reason to, to get mad at, I guess, I guess I'm just telling myself, there's no, there's no reason to get, um super sad about the way you acted around family, right? I mean, can you at least tell me well, that? Well, think of, like, I mean, think of, like, I mean, do you think, like, when when Max peed in your in your motor home with, with 
you and Gabe and your two wives sleeping at it? Like, did he wake up feeling weird about that? I have no idea. So that's such a great angle because you think I could sit here and think of every other human being that was with me last weekend, and I can say with authority that none of them need to be embarrassed about the way they acted for a single second around me, and yet I'm sure, because a lot of them share my DNA, that many of them do. So that's a good example of how I'm overreacting. I think it is. Now, um, so last weekend I was um, I was at Tim's in Napa. We were doing um, we were doing some some strategy sessions for this little uh, this little adventure that we're going on. We can talk about that down the road a bit. Um, and we had we had we had a nice dinner. Obviously, an incredibly expensive dinner. Had a couple drinks. You know, came came back to his house. Definitely, you know, slightly buzzed, but you know, in, in great spirits social, not, you know, drunk or anything like that. Um, and his dog, Poppy, was obviously, you know, sitting on the rug when we walked in, waiting for just that moment. And so when I went to pet her, Tim said, you can't pet her. And I said, why not? And he said, um, she gets too excited these days when we get home, and she'll sometimes pee if, if you pet her. So, so to me, that, that sounded a little far-fetched. So obviously I pet her, just a little pat on the forehead, you know, to say hi. Um, and next thing I knew, she had just peed on Tim's rug. So, so that the, the matter could have ended there with with just about anyone else. It would have, and obviously Tim scolded me. Um, maybe I deserved it. I don't think I did, but he scolded me. Um, and she didn't pee a lot, and that was sort of, as far as I was concerned, the end of the of the situation. And then Tim took my, my dot kit, which was the only possession of mine that was within arm's reach, and he just took it and without a word rubbed it into the rug on the pee as though he was scrubbing it. And, and it was literally as though I was the one who peed on the rug, and he was training me like a dog, just rubbing my nose into it to not do it again. I'm, my, my eyes, I'm shaking my head with my eyes wide right now. So imagine, imagine that, and then obviously I hated watching him do that. Um, and then we were just sort of glaring at each other. So, so what happened after he he did that to your dob kit? Like, did you guys have a fight, or did you just give up because you knew he would win a fight? Well, no. I mean, then 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 we were annoyed. I mean, that was um, to me because again, to me, I was I was for one thing, I was being punished for ultimately what was his dog's behavior, and number two, I was being treated like the dog. <laughs> So, um, so no, eventually he had to bribe me with a, by giving me a bottle of apple brandy. Why? Bribe you from what? Just have, having a terrible time? Well, no. I mean, we were, look, by, by, by that point, we were, you know, sitting there with no cards, thinking of names for the wine company. But it's not, it's not like it was an unforgivable transgression. Because again, it's Tim, so you can't really like get that mad at that sort of thing. Um. But I, th- I think he'd bribe me just so that I could have the apple brandy and look at it in my apartment and not think of, like, the peace stain that my that my possessions were dropped in. Uh, and it worked. I mean, it worked. Look, it's true. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Quick halftime break. Tell a friend. Send them to soundcloud.com slash landlinepodcast or talkforaliving.com. 
Call the landline, 617-744-1895. Also doubling as my office line for the doggy daycare company I'm working for this summer. That will definitely be a topic coming up. Um, Here's a couple voicemails for you to just tell you about the other people who call. I think it should be inspirational. You have five new messages, three saved messages. Main menu. To listen to your messages, press one. First voice message sent Monday, April 4th. Hello, this is Erin calling from Comcast for the Viacount app department. I do apologize that the call was dropped. Um, oh, no problem, Comcast. Um, no. Errors here in my department. Yeah, Almost technical. Terrible. We love you. Everyone Here's loves the Comcast. Um, I oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, what was that again? All the notes will be on there. I do okay. apologize for the technical difficulties, but I was glad I was able to assist you today. No, if sure, of course. Please don't hesitate. Call us back. Yeah, Thank no. Thank you for choosing Comcast and have a nice day. No, I think your services are well-priced. End of message. To erase Message erased. Next voice message sent Tuesday, April 12th. Hey, Alex. It's um, John and Mari calling to wish you happy birthday. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. I hope it's been wonderful. Take care. We miss you. Hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. Those are good parents-in-law. That's End as, of message. That's to as good as it gets. Message. That is so sweet. Message saved. Thank you. Next voice message sent Wednesday, April 20th. Hey, Alex. It's Dan over Seaside Subaru. Oh, hey, Dan. Give me a call see how everything's going. Great. I also want to check in to see if you're still thinking about the Crosstrek. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about how I don't have enough money to buy anything. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, are you guys giving those away for free? Because that's basically my budget right now. Crosstrek. Great car, very cute. Yeah, no, I'm completely in debt. I'm totally underwater. And I've got student debt now, too. So where does that put me on a credit score? End of me- message erased. Next voice message sent Friday, May 6th. Hello, Alexander. Dan, Dan! Dan! Oh man, I, am I ever thinking about how I'm going to drop out of society because I can't pay my bills? Oh no, you're off. Do you say Mother's Day? You're off on Mother's Day? That's a big holiday in my family for sure. No, I mean, there's nothing that I like to talk about more than holidays that have been manufactured by corporate America. Can, can we call? Can I call you and talk about that? Saturday, January thirtieth. Hello. Hi. This is the Broad Service Center with an important... There you have it, folks. A couple of voicemails. Exciting stuff. Call the landline. 617-744-1895. Just do it right now. Leave us a message. It'll be hilarious. Um, hope everyone is enjoying the pod. Here's some more. Tell a friend. SoundCloud. Talk for a living. So look, let's let's we're we're running low on time, obviously. So let's let let's get at the big story of the week. Okay. Gawker. Gawker versus Silicon Valley. All right. Free so, press versus billionaires. So Hulk Hogan versus anyone. Here are two things. Or here here's here here's a little background for everyone. If you don't know who Gawker and you don't know who Peter Thiel are, then I think you are. 
interestingly to me, but you are missing major players in your life. Um, one of them, Gawker, is the site that ultimately grows the stories that get filtered down to you through whatever media you look at. Like whether it's The Post or, you know, Slate or Politico even or Facebook or Twitter, uh, probably more likely that than the other two I mentioned. Or whatever, like random ads you see or even The Times. Gawker is the farmer that, like, that curates the original gossip. Um, and I don't know if yeah, this... I mean, it wasn't, wasn't Gawker and I, I've, I've never liked reading Gawker, so I've never read it, but I, I mean, besides here and there, but I, isn't the, isn't the central point that Gawker is willing to go further than other more respected or respectable media outlets will go. Right. They're like a smarter intellectual New York gay version of TMZ. Um, they're writing about more important stuff that has... TMZ's founder was also gay, by the way. Is Harvey Levin gay? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Anyways, so is Nick Denny. I, I wouldn't call Gawker... I, I, wouldn't, I don't like using the word smart in the same sentence as Gawk or Gawker. Well, but, but I'll agree with you with the New York thing, at least. Okay, well, their, their tagline is today's gossip is tomorrow's news. And... They, to me, and we can disagree, and but if we have to, a time constraint, we can't. Uh, to me, that Gawker illustrates the internet to me. I think Gawker is what the internet ultimately like landed on. It's the, it, 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 Gawker started out as a way to track celebrities. It was called Gawker Stalker. And people would send in tips via email saying, I saw... You know, who was that guy who killed himself at the Olsen's, the, the Olsen twins apartment? Um, Hugh, what, the guy who played the Joker. He was always on it. Um, Heath, he didn't kill himself. Heath Ledger. Well, Heath he killed Ledger, himself yeah. with opiates. I mean, however you want to put it. So, so, um, <laughs> so they would put, right, anyway, anyway, they would so put a map, they get, would put a, get to the facts at hand. They would put a map up of where the stars are. So they were always into, yeah, like looking in your backyard and paparazzi a little bit. But as they've developed, they've really become um, a watchdog of everything going on the Internet. They're the ones who will make they you know, they were the first major media outlet making fun of Facebook in really great ways. They are the first media outlet. um you know, they, they broke a lot of important stories, um, and they also made fun of writers. They made fun of uh, certainly cable TV. Um, I mean, let's just go there right now to give people a sample of their headlines. Water scientist Donald Trump on fixing California's drought, quote, start opening up the water. Um, let's see. Cleveland is making room for 200 fresh arrests at the Republican National Convention. Amber Heard files restraining order against Johnny Depp citing assault. Um, All right, so anyway. New, anyway. New, world, new World Order truther to chemtrail truther. Donald Trump's scenes unstable. I mean, they're obsessed with Trump. Um, but, you know, they do other stuff. They Now they've turned into a media empire. Now they own a sports thing. Now they own... A thing about Silicon Valley. Now they own a thing about cars. You know they they're they've turned into this incredible thing. And Nick Denton, their founder, is a brilliant internet entrepreneur. And I have a long history with Gawker because I was on Gawker before 
99% of the people were reading it. And I even have a signed book from one of their editors because when I worked for Judith Regan in New York, they tried to, they interviewed her because she had no idea who they were after they spent years and years and years making fun of her. They're, they're a New York gossip. They're like better than the page six. So that's Gawker. Now, you just... All right, so anyway, one of, one of the things that Gawker did uh, was decide to probably buy, but certainly acquire, and then post a tape of Hulk Hogan having sex with the wife of the radio personality, Bubba the Love Sponge. Right. Who's been featured on Howard Stern. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on there, notably why this guy wanted Hulk Hogan to have sex with his wife, uh, and maybe less weird why he decided to videotape and sell it, which obviously put a damper on their friendship. But anyway, so the point was that Hogan sued Gawker, and his argument was that you can't post a private sex tape without my consent on the internet. Do you and know Gawker, why? Do you know why he was actually mad about that? Though it wasn't the sex. It was. He didn't. He did no, not. No, it was because there. he went on a racist tirade about his daughter's black boyfriend at the end of it. And he called him well, the, he, he called him the N word a bunch of times. Yeah, he's been pretty upset with with the whole thing. Okay, uh, all right. So who is anyway, Gaw- who is Peter Gawker's... who is Peter Thiel? Saul, tell us who Peter Thiel is. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm about to. Gawker's defense was basically that Hogan was a public a public figure who had boasted about his sexual escapades and his virility and his partners. And that made him fair game for anything to go revolving around his sex life. In other words, they couldn't have made that defense if, you know, if me or you had a sex tape up on the Internet. But Hulk Hogan was a public figure. He talked about it. He boasted about it. So he was fair game. Peter Thiel uh, co-founded PayPal, um, billionaire, early investor in Facebook. One of the most, I'd say, well-known and most looked up to people in Silicon Valley. And he's done, he's, he's done a whole lot of other stuff, too, from being a chess prodigy to, um, you know, starting half the companies that seem to be out here. But he's, the point is that he's a, he's a powerful, secretive, libertarian, gay billionaire. All of those things apply. Um, but the fact is that he wasn't publicly known as being gay until Gawker in 2007, I think, ran the, an article with the headline, Peter Thiel is really totally gay, or something like that. So anyway, that made Peter Thiel hate Gawker. And obviously there's two sides to this story, but his side was that you have no right, you know, posting that or anything like that. So with the Hulk Hogan thing, it had turned out really recently in the last few days that Peter Thiel had actually been paying for Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker with a sole intention of bankrupting and destroying them, which still could potentially happen. So this is where we this is where we wanted to end up, right? I I would also say everyone should just Google Peter Thiel, which is T H I E L and New Yorker, and read the 2011 article. It goes to show you how great the New Yorker is about him because they were way ahead of Gawker on all this stuff. But basically, the my fascination with Thiel is that he's convinced. Or, you know, he's invested heavily 
in living forever. He's one of the major backers of the technology that will allow humans to live forever. And this is when I started my deep hatred from him, like or for him. Although I, I, I will note that a, a surprisingly large number of tech billionaires has, have put hundreds or put multi millions of dollars in, into similar quests. And that's exactly. And it turns out that it's pretty fun being a tech billionaire, apparently, and they want to live. Okay, fine, but that's exactly the kind of stuff that Gawker is making fun of. Like, are you kidding me? Are you so self-centered that you think not only that you can live forever, but that you are the single person on the face of the earth that is going to somehow combat forces like weather and geology and astrophysics and live forever? And, I mean... I just, I, first of all, I don't want to live forever. Do you want to live forever, Saul? Oh, God, yeah. Of course I do. See, that's crazy to me. I'm afraid of dying, but I am not. I, I have no interest in living forever. That, to me, is hell. People are like, what's heaven like? What's hell like? Hell, to me, is never dying and having to live on the earth forever. That is, well, in, I mean, that's insane. If, I could, if, if you could freeze your age, you know, I'd pick maybe 29 when I still had a full head of hair. But I definitely do that. But you're miserable 65% of your day. Yeah, but back then I wasn't. <laughs> I lived with you back then. Yes, you were. <laughs> well, I wouldn't work at a restaurant forever the way I did that. Look, uh, no one knows what living forever is like because no one's ever managed to do it yet. I'm, I'm sorry. We got to accept I, that. I, I just... I. I'm a little distracted because I'm trying to find a quote with him about living forever. But it's like, I, I honestly think someone should shoot Peter Thiel in the head. I think to show everyone that you can't live forever. I think that the first step in 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 sort of regulating all this stuff is making people understand that if they say, I'm going to live forever, they're, they're going to have a lot of problems on their hands. Because Okay, but are you, are you angry that Peter Thiel is richer than you and, and more ambitious about his lifespan? No. Are you angry about, or are you angry about the fact that it seems like a threat to the media and free press and First Amendment when a billionaire can potentially get angry at a publication and put it out of business using his money and power? I'm mad when computer geeks think that they are more powerful than the last six billion years of the Earth's ecology. I am so sick of hearing about all these incredible innovations that are going on that are basically people digitizing things that have existed forever like making like talking about how good a restaurant is or updating your friends on how happy you are or you know sending somebody a note or a letter or you know telling everyone where you went that day it's like it makes me sick I, I just don't get I, I want I want Silicon Valley to crash and burn so badly right now. Like I wish I was smart enough to understand some sort of economic reality that existed that was gonna create a major crash in the next five years and I don't. But I wish that everyone in Silicon Valley would lose ninety percent of their equity in everything that they own. Because it just makes me except for except for me. My office is in Cupertino. I actually share a building with Apple. So, but what, what, like, in terms of, like, the First Amendment stuff, 
The people who are complaining about Gawker are the ones who invented it, the entire infrastructure for it to exist in the first place. If Facebook didn't exist, if Twitter didn't exist, if, you know, da like big data didn't exist, if we couldn't do geolocation, if every single video, if there wasn't a video camera in every single building in the United States, then Gawker couldn't easily get it all and put it on the internet. So these people want to pick and choose how these innovations, quote unquote, are being used. And anytime they're being used to say you're an asshole, they're mad about it. But like, are, are I we? I think that's a smart point. I, I think that's a very smart and, point. And also, like, get off Facebook, everybody. Get off Facebook. Like, I'm sorry. I've been like, you know, nice to all my business school friends about it. Like, yeah, I get it that you guys are on Facebook. And like, I just, it's just not for me. And I don't like, you know, I don't judge. Well, you know what? I do judge. I do judge everyone who's on Facebook. Shut your Facebook account down right now. Don't think about how it might screw things up for you. Just do it. Every single day we learn that being on Facebook is not a good idea. And yet nobody does anything about it. And the problem is they see that there's more value in staying on than there is in getting off. Like they've done the math and they would rather know how that girl they fucked in high school is having her third kid in Virginia than just like living their life and having human communication be what, what dictates how it works. And, and the funny thing is that as much as you hate Facebook, if you've been on it recently, you'd probably hate it more because it doesn't even really show you that stuff anymore. Now it just shows you like a sponsored ad for like a new shaving gel. Not to mention the fact that, like, now look, am I a hypocrite? Yes. And is the way that this podcast could actually get big Facebook? Yes. And am I going to join Facebook to do that? No. I would rather literally stand here and yell into a microphone and have no one hear it than get on Facebook. Because if you're on Facebook, you're a fucking loser. That's the fundamental truth. And if I have to hear about how my mom... insulted at one point... Billion people fine, like fine. What are they doing? What are they doing on there? Nobody knows. My mom's They're talking about how the golf pro at my dad's country club is in Boston, and she knows because of Facebook. <laughs> like, honestly, if somebody wants to do a good suicide bomb, go to Central Oregon and explode the Facebook servers that are in Prineville that are getting cheap power from the Bonneville Dam on the Columbia River. And go there. You don't even need to suicide bomb it. Drive a Timothy McVeigh van up to it and just explode it. And see how so everyone does. This is getting, getting dark. You, you want Peter Thiel's shot and Facebook blowing up. Who, who would be next? I mean, so, and is this a bad move? Am I making a bad move by saying those things out loud? Uh, only if more people listen to our podcast. Why are liberals constantly convinced that because when they're in power, people will make the right decision that it won't have any negative impact on the long term? And what I mean by that is like, it's like, ha, 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 Facebook screwing the Republican Party because they wrote an algorithm that doesn't allow like conservative voices to get heard. Do you think that's a good outcome for you long term? Like, do you think? No, not necessarily. Like, do we think it's always going to be the case that the conservatives are the minority when it comes to like internet, uh, you know, uh, transparency and uh, fluency? 
And it's the same thing about like Obama expanding his executive powers and all of the like 63 year old moms in New Hampshire being like, well, you know, it's what we had to do. We had to do the drone strike in Pakistan. Like, I trust him. I trust what he's doing. Like, okay, great. And guess what? The next Republican that's going to come in is going to quote all of those powers as the same powers he has. And he's going to be like drone striking your neighbor's house. <laughs> well, I've never really liked my neighbors. I'm okay with that. No, but seriously, Saul. Like, I'm sorry that I've gone on such a serious turn, but what the fuck? People are offering up all of their information constantly on the internet. That's very true. That's very true. And they think that nobody's ever going to do anything bad with it. Right, or in the case of the Gawker case, they think that a certain amount of information is a, a bridge too far. And then and we have the And then we have somebody who is the most successful single investor, single, not necessarily as an entity, but I would argue, from what I've read, the single most successful investor in Silicon Valley. And he's the one who is, A, trying to live forever, and B, spending tens of millions of dollars to silence the press about the realities of his existence. Should we be worried? Yeah, well, again, I, I, do, I, I do think, oh, I, I like Gawker a lot less than you do which is to say I don't like it, and I don't really have much sympathy for them, and I think that they more or less got themselves in this predicament. But all that being said, yes, it still worries me, the idea that a very rich and powerful individual can take down an entire news organization. And I think partly it's a matter of precedent because it shows other really rich and powerful people that they can do the same thing. And, like, I don't agree with anything Rush Limbaugh says, but I'm going to be sad when that guy dies because he fills a niche in this country. Like, well, he doesn't seem like he's going to go anytime soon. Well, you never know. Like he could OD on, on painkillers or whatever it is that he pops during the day. But it it's like, we, we want to have a diversity of points of view. Like this is what we're looking for. This is the mark of a good society. A bunch of people saying what they want. I mean, I would argue that you would have been one of the best Gawker writers of all time. One of my favorite Gawker articles of all time is when a, when a woman um, named Katie Weaver got offered a week of free vacation if she could stay in a Chili's in Red Hook, Brooklyn from open till close. And there were a certain amount of rules about it. And she had to live blog the whole thing. And she was only, and the whole point was that they had endless appetizers, and she was only allowed to order one, and she had to just keep ordering it, and she did mozzarella sticks, and she, she went through like 17 orders of mozzarella sticks, and just had like a, a stream of conscious blog about the whole experience. It was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, well, sure, I mean, any, any of those situations are ones that I'd want to be part of. So There's I, a guy who was bet a six-figure sum that he could... He had to live in a bathroom in a hotel in Vegas for, I believe, several months. He couldn't leave the bathroom of this hotel. So I just, I, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I should cut out the part about shooting Peter Thiel. I don't know if we should cut out the part about exploiting the Facebook servers because that's probably what's going to get the ratings. But honestly, well, I just... Well, look, you, we can't go self-censoring. I just, I just don't know... 
what it is that people are hoping to accomplish with the internet. Like, why aren't we happy with what we have? Why aren't we happy with the fact that somehow the... Well, no one's ever happy with what they have. Okay, but, like, how much good food, good swimming, good hikes, like, great drives, uh, you know, awesome um, games fun things are there on earth right now why do we need to like have virtual reality like that's a perfect example i guarantee peter Thiel has tons of money in virtual reality so what do we need that for what do i need virtual reality for i have reality it's not even virtual i have real reality i have a bunch of three-dimensional objects right around me well maybe it's for people who don't like the reality and they want a better one and, like, I'm sorry to say this because no one else will, but guess what a big problem is? The number of human beings on the face of the earth. So now people are going to start living forever? How is that going to work out? <laughs> well, I, I do agree with that. We, we got an awful lot of people. We're low on resources. So we don't, we don't necessarily need to all be even living to 150, much less immortality. So I think, I think that's a fair point. The good news, if you want to call it that, is that Many of those population centers are so sickly and impoverished that they really aren't going to live that long at all. Right. So then we're just going to be left with a bunch of like really successful Silicon Valley executives. The world is going to be so fun. <laughs> well, that's when you'll plug in your virtual reality and go back in time 300 years. I guess. I guess. All right, well, I don't know what we accomplished on that topic other than really angering me, but I just, I think that, uh, I think people should pay attention to this Gawker-Peter Thiel thing. I think you should Google Peter Thiel. I think you should go to Gawker. I think you should go to Gawker every single day. You don't even have to read the articles. You can just scroll through what's going on. They're saying real things about climate change. They're saying real things about politics, and they're making, like, funny banter happen about issues that are actually serious. Um, they've gotten remarkably worse over the last 18 months because they got a major investment and the editorial board has been compromised and a lot of their best writers have moved on to bigger and better things. Um, but they are, they were once, you know, I went to their headquarters. I went, I went and had a cocktail party at their headquarters in like their second year with Brian voiceover actor, Brian Hansberry. Oh, he's supposed to do our commercials for us. I know. Well, maybe we'll get him to. No, I mean, look, Silicon Valley is not, I mean, it's not, um, I mean, yeah, no, I know it well. I, I lived there for, for almost four years. My office is there. Most of my clients, you know, work there. I, I, I know Silicon Valley. Um, I'm not I'm not a fan of it. I mean, look, for, for one thing, I don't have a tech company, and so I, I don't really feel like I'm part of that community, per se. Um... I think it's sad that it used to be a pretty beautiful area. You know, if you go back 30, 40, 50 years, uh, cities like Cupertino and Los Gatos and San Jose, you know, had giant orange orchards and they had hiking trails and they had a lot of wilderness. And now it's just basically pavement with random shops and restaurants and stores on it. Um, so I think, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, Silicon Valley sucks. I mean, it's a, it's expensive. It's not, you know, beautiful. It's not particularly scenic. Um, it's really comfortable. It has anything one could want, more or less, in terms of, you know, services and 
things to do. It's in a nice part of the state. You can go half an hour one way and be in San Francisco or half an hour another way and be on the ocean in Santa Cruz. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a reason that a lot of people like living there, but it's, you know, it's, it's sprawl. It's suburbia. Um, San Jose is a, a weird city. I could give two hours just on San Jose itself. Um, so it's not, you know, it's, it's not, to me, it's not this, you know, incredible place, but it's, it's a weird, it's a weird place just because it's, uh, risen to such prominence. You know, it's, it's this very geographically small amount of land that has this very outsized effect on the country and, and arguably the world. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to look in Valley. It's made up of a lot of, a lot of tiny cities that, well, and not tiny cities that just sort of like bleed into one another. Um, and it gets really hot in the summer and it's, you know, um, not, not so hot in the winter, but it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a weird entity. Definitely. So all that being said here, I want to know what you think of one of the most recent startups to, to catch fire from Silicon Valley, which is a $700 juicing machine. That makes an eight-ounce glass of juice. I saw that already. Oh. I saw that. And the and the thing is that it's not you don't put the vegetables into it yourself the way you would with a normal, pricey but less expensive juicer. What you do is you um you order these little packets of juice that are processed by hourly paid workers who have a, live in a factory in Los Angeles and just spend their entire day chopping vegetables to put in these packets to ship to the people who buy $700 juicers and then are willing to pay another like $8 per juice pack or something like that. But wait, what it, so what the, you mean the vegetables come cut in like a plastic bag, glorified plastic bag so that they're in like, it's like a blue, it's like a juicer blue apron. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole point is that you do not, it's not messy. You just, you, it's it basically picture like one of those espresso machines. You just take a pod and you pop it in and then you get your drink out of it. Okay. So here's the thing, Saul. We, can it's we. it's called Trucero, by the way. I, I, I saw the headline in the New York Times. If, if, if we got to, we went from Neanderthal, caveman, whatever you want to call it. We went from that to where we are now eating whole pieces of fruit. Can we agree on that? Like, uh, yeah, of course we can. That was like one. I also, I also just want to mention that this guy has raised a total of over a hundred million dollars for this machine. I just, I'm speechless. There's so much wrong. I'm speechless. I guess in a way, <laughs> if if we speed it up, if we speed up the process of completely screwing ourselves then it will get to the point where we have to start making decisions faster. And that's an upside. Wait, like, hey, everybody, stop packaging things. And, hey, everybody, stop shipping things. Do you think that the Amazon model is sustainable long-term? And I don't mean for the next 100 years. I mean a 1,000 years from now. Do you think we can box things in plastic styrofoam and cardboard and then ship them on a plane that burns oil do you think that's going to be happening miami has three feet of water in 75 years they're saying yeah i think a thousand years from now i mean who who knows the, the cows might be running the earth <laughs>
Yeah, but a thousand... Okay, fine. But I mean, a thousand years ago, we had, like, cities in Mexico that were considered sophisticated. That's true. That's true. I'm just saying, like, what what is a more interesting thing to everyone? Going from the cave with a fire and, like, a lambskin... Um, what are the, what do they call those things that like, it's not, it's not a male dress and it's not a toga, but it's, it's basically, it's like it, it's a, um, let's just call it a male dress. All right. So a lambskin, an animal skin, male dress going from that to living in a house with air conditioning. That's a pretty impressive span. Right. And one of the major things that allowed us to do that was like, farming was it was like agriculture so we're talking whole fruits and vegetables we're talking about protein we're talking about you know uh cultivated wheat so now like why can't we embrace that as the model that may actually pull us through to the next iteration why do we have to have all those things cut up for us packaged in plastic and then juiced for us where are we going to go it, where does the juice bring us? That would be my question. Does it bring us? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And where, yeah, what's what's the next step? Does it make us live longer? Uh, presumably, it makes us less health or more healthy and less fat. So it makes our poops better in the morning, and I mean that has a lot of weight. I don't know if it's a hundred million dollar weight, but well, it's... no, no one said that it does. So it might have the opposite effect. And this guy who invented it isn't he a serial entrepreneur? He's a weird guy. He's kind of a hippie. He's a guy, he wears hemp shoes. Uh, and I think he got either fired or something went wrong with the previous juice job that he had. And then suddenly now he has $100 million of, uh, of investment for a $700 juicer. Um, over in uh, one of our favorite countries, Iran, um, more than 30 college students were arrested, interrogated, and ultimately lashed for attending a graduation party that included men and, men and women. So um, the women were described as half-naked, meaning they weren't covered with, um, you know, their heads weren't covered. And they were arrested while, quote, dancing and jubilating after the authorities were told. And so they each received 99 lashes. So, you know when you're driving, and I'm going to tie this all together nicely. You know when you're driving around, and, like, I'm not a huge music guy. I know you're a satellite radio guy, but I'm a big talk radio, sports guy, NPR guy. And, like, I'm, I I like music to be played when it's appropriate. I think that if you play music all the time, that it ends up being something that just kind of drones on. And when you're actually playing music, when you're having a cocktail or at a, a beach party or whatever, it loses its effect. But... There are moments when I have I put the radio on and you know those moments when you just have like a really good modern dance song on like uh, you know and I'm going to complete, oh, yeah. completely yeah of course you do you love stuff like that like you know like I have those moments 30 times a day So like Robin or like I don't know like whoever like the cool bands are that like have just like one of those epic like four and a half minute like smooth upbeat exciting like dance songs Totally. So I had this this uh, this thought the other day of like, you know, like how do you get to ISIS? Like, okay, so the people in Iran, they're a good example too. But like, how do we get through to these people? Because clearly the violence thing isn't going to work. They do not need to see more violence. And I thought like, 
you know, this song, I'm driving in the car and I'm listening to one of those epic songs and I'm just like, God, this music is so good and it's making me feel so good inside. Could we just get a bunch of blimps and actually, like, somehow, like, bulletproof them with, like, drone fire or something like that and then just blast this music down to these people until they, like, start dancing, until they get, like, that... Starting with 99 loop balloons. Exactly. It's well, like, then that's a problem. They dance and they get lashed. A lot of these people, all they want to do is dance, but now they're getting lashed for it. I just, I don't know what to do. I, 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 these people have to break free. I, like, you know, you probably know. Well, look, more... Peter, Peter Thiel and Mark Zuckerberg would say the, the best way is to get them on Facebook. Yeah, so they can just, like, finally see what, what everyone's shopping for. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's it's debatable whether you'd rather live in uh, San Jose or Toronto. That's what you're saying. Well, look, I mean, the the you know the fathers of the revol the American Revolution didn't need Facebook to overthrow the tyranny of King George. That's all I'm saying. Now they did have the advantage that they were separated by an ocean, and the only way to get across it was a sailboat. Um, That's also true. Yeah, yeah. Now speaking of oceans. Um, it also reports came out recently that Russia's defense ministry is looking to purchase five dolphins uh, to revive its Soviet-era use of sea mammals and dolphins for the military. They're purchasing dolphins? They don't have any of their own? They're purchasing them. They got to. Um, they're seeking two females and three male dolphins between three and five years old. They specified no physical impairments and perfect teeth. And they're going to train them to be evil military dolphins. Dolphins were used by the, both the U.S. and the Soviet Union in the Cold War to detect submarine underwater mines and spot suspicious objects. And there were even reports that the Soviets turned some into suicide uh, dolphins, which would crash into a ship and blow up. This, to me, is a step in the right direction. Um, because you like that. Yeah, well, so, well, let me tell you why. I firmly believe that the key to a um, renew, renewed plasticity on Earth um, is the elephants and dolphins getting together in a land-sea war where they can just, like, obliterate all the humans through some sort of, like, you know, laser or something like that. So... If you think about it, if they train these dolphins, if we if if the dolphins are as smart as we hope they are, um, then they can train all the other dolphins, and finally there'll be a dolphin army. I mean, they can tra they can become traitors on the Russians. Um, you know, I know what you're saying. So you're 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 hoping that the dolphins will become great military dolphins and eventually turn on their humans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I. I so we, we disagree about a lot, obviously, but I, I'm 100% with you on this one. I mean, um, nothing he, would make me happier. You know those moments when you're driving past, like, the most, ex like, beautiful expanse that has, like, you know, it's a conservation land or a national park, and you're like, oh, my gosh, the earth is so beautiful. Can you imagine what the earth was like before humans? It just must have been absolutely spectacular. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Just the, it's a little like when at SeaWorld, when every now and then you'd have the killer whale who would eat his trainer. Yes. And you couldn't, you couldn't feel that badly about it, even though it's a tragedy, because at a 
certain level, you have to be asking yourself, does this giant, this giant creature really want you making it jump through hoops, literally? And its whole kind of evolutionary role in life is to eat animals like you. And so eventually it's going to do it. So, I mean, maybe that's a way that I can uh, temper my Peter Thiel, uh, Thiel assassination uh, diatribe. But by saying that, well, maybe the computer that he creates will kill him. And so that'll be like the natural progression of things. Uh, that could be it. Um, it would be funny if his quest for immortality ended in the jaws of a killer whale. <laughs> There's a great Scandinavian author that we can discuss on the next podcast who has a, 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 you know, a short novel about just a brain living in a dish. And it's from the point of view of the brain. Um, I read it at University of Wisconsin when I was there briefly. <laughs> All right. Send, send that along for next time. I will. Uh, la last and certainly least uh, in terms of triviality, um, a woman was charged with aggravated robbery, kidnapping, first-degree battery, and other crimes. Um but her mugshot apparently made her look extremely hot. And so it's taken over the Internet's attention. Uh, people can't get enough of this felon's mugshot. I'm looking at it right now. It's a pretty good picture, definitely, definitely for, you know, prison level. Um, she's smiling. She seems calm and happy. Uh, a nice, sultry gaze burning up at the camera. But this is what the Internet's come to. It's not even selling shaving cream anymore. It's, it's us admiring a woman's mugshot. So, in 1858, in an Old West saloon, in Deadwood, you know, paint the picture you want to, listeners, and Saul, this ha the, the, the version of this is somebody's wanted poster goes up, and everybody who walks into the saloon makes their own little version of some she's hot comment. And then they all shoot the shit around a table playing poker and drinking whiskey. And that's as far as it goes. And that's really as far as it should go. It's an inside joke that doesn't need to be shared by a billion people on Facebook. And this is what I hate about all of this stuff. We all don't need to talk about it. it things can happen that we all don't talk about. Like, what if that happened? What if something happened at a barbecue this weekend where people laughed really hard and nobody took a picture of it and nobody tweeted about it and nobody shared it on Facebook? What if somebody like had an amazing wiffle ball home run at the family barbecue and nobody was videoing it? It's just like you can still get the, the exact same emotional utility out of it. In fact, I would argue you might even be able to get more because it's like unique to you and your, your existing circle. It's quite possible. You're right. Are you like? Are you just nonplussed by my uh, technological? No, I mean I, I I agree with you with a lot of it. I completely agree. Um, and actually, I, I hate Facebook. I mean, I hate a lot of the um, you know the same things that you hate, which is probably why we're friends. <laughs> okay, now Saul, I know you have to go, but briefly, did you see about the downfall of the? Uh, best-known vegan restaurateur in Manhattan. I didn't just because if I see the word vegan in print, 
media on screen and conversation, I just immediately steer my ship hard away from it. Well, listeners, this is going to be our last little bit, and we apologize for all the current events on this episode, but we don't really apologize because this is who we are. I just want to do a brief chime in here that uh, we're going to podcast a lot this summer. Uh, SoundCloud.com slash Landline Podcast, TalkForAliving.com. Saul and I will be here once a week. I will have a rotating uh, list of guests the other days. Stick with us. The show will get better. We appreciate your support. All you need to do is tell a friend about it. Um, And listen, we all listen to podcasts, and there are some shittier podcasts out there. And I can guarantee you that the last one hour, 36 minutes has been as good, if not better, than the last Judge John Hodgman podcast you listened to. So so there. Um, So, Saul, there was this vegan restaurateur who was in Manhattan, and she was all the rage. And Alec Baldwin even met his most recent wife, Hilaria, at the bar there. Woody Harrelson, you know, all the big vegans went in. And she was minting yep. money. And it turned out that uh, she was also embezzling money. She transferred, I think the number was $1.4 million from the business account to her personal account maybe three years ago. And then her and her husband went to Mohegan Sun and got rid of around five hundred grand of it at the uh, roulette and craps tables. And by by got rid, they just lost it. They lost it. She bought some watches and they did a tour of Europe. And you know, I mean, at that point, if you're spending like that, it's not really hard to get rid of the other three hundred and fifty grand that we haven't described yet. So it turns out it's it's easy to blow money if if you want to. So then she ended up not paying any of her employees right around Christmas time. I mean, restaurant people are just the worst, and I say that from experience. Um, And so they all worked through the holidays. And again, this is like a place, C&B scene. They all worked through the holidays unpaid. It turned out she fled, and she she was picked up in a motel in Tennessee eating a Domino's pizza. Wow. Um, which is decidedly unvegan. And I think <laughs> decidedly. that. Decidedly. Um, I think my uh, favorite part. Hold on here. The New York Post article for all of those. You don't. Just do yourself a favor. Just acknowledge that the second you go on the internet, you're a complete dirtbag. And then just embrace it and go to good websites instead of Facebook. Just go right to the New York Post where all the news is being made. Well, uh, I, I don't want to acknowledge that I'm a dirtbag. I want to acknowledge that she's a dirtbag. She's and the, I want to talk about her being a dirtbag. She's the vegan Bernie Madoff, says Benjamin Dictor, attorney for a group of ex-pure workers. According to the indictment, 84 of them are owned a collective $40,000. Well, that's not that bad. Um, so, I mean, the first, the first thing is in this day and age, do, doesn't it just seem like if you, if you embezzle money, you're going to get caught sooner or later. Isn't that kind of the world we live in? Yeah. And if you're going to embezzle money, like, here's the thing. If you've lived a completely squeaky clean life, meaning that you don't have like, you know, a criminal record and nobody expects you to be a bad person and you're going to do something really bad. Just immediately take the first flight to a country where they can't get you back. Like, that's my move. 
I'm going to take all the money and I'm going to go to like Thailand or something and I'm just going to call it quits. Like, honestly, let's be let's be real. It's OK if you miss the next 35 years in America, if you if you decided to steal a million bucks. Just go. Yeah, to, I think that's an excellent point. What, what you don't want to do is, is hide out in Tennessee because sooner or later they'll kick down the door of your motel. Go go to South America. Go to the Far East. Go to Russia. Look at Snowden. He's doing just fine there. Exactly. So I think that that is a good point for all of you would-be embezzlers, current embezzlers, past embezzlers. Take your money, put it in a bag, and get the hell out of the U.S. Yeah, and like make find you. and like make your first move a big one that gets you in a place where you might not get caught. Otherwise, like now you're fucked. You're gonna have no credit. You're always gonna owe everybody. And everybody's going to hate your guts. Um, and, you know, you're going to be in, like, in white-collar prison in Tennessee. Well, so the, the last thing, too, is that this really gets at our, our favorite word of all time, um, which is a German word, uh, schadenfreude, and this concept of just feeling better when other people go down in flames. Doesn't don't we feel better that this vegan restaurateur got caught in her motel after after not paying her employees over the holidays? I I really I am against anyone who calls themselves a restaurateur. You can own a restaurant, and I'm completely behind you. But the second that you become a restaurateur, like I'm not impressed. You. Well, in fairness to her, she might have never called herself that. I just called her that. Besides meat, vegans swear off all animal products, including eggs, milk, and pizza toppings, including cheese. That's that's how bad the New York Post writing is. Like pizza topping, they like vegans do not swear off pizza toppings. That's not one of the things they do. They, right, a, ve- a vegan would not eat pepperoni, for example. They wouldn't eat sausage. Uh, it's fine with mushrooms or spinach or you know peppers. They wouldn't say, like, no, I can't eat that. It's a pizza topping. They'd say, no, I can't eat that. It's made from animals. <laughs> yeah, a pig, a pig was that, that sort. All right. Do you have five minutes for the wine, and then we'll call it? Yeah, let's, let's, do, let's give ourselves a five-minute plug. Okay, so Saul and I are in the midst of uh, creating a, com- a company together with our, our friend Tim. And um, I would say... That although we've had hundreds of harebrained schemes, um, this one feels like it has some roots in the ground. Um, we have yet to meet anyone who tells us to our face that it's a bad idea. Right. And, and for not only because the product is good, but because we actually maybe have the ability to pull it off. I think that's one of the reasons people are so supportive. Uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, going to be a wine company tim lives and breathes and drinks wine so he he's just fine getting it together uh it's going to be wine it's going to go into a can we have lots of reasons for putting it in a can and we'll talk about that next time uh but we all feel pretty good about it and i think the the most exciting thing we've done so far is really developing the story around the brand um and i feel like the next battle we're going to have to fight is Tim coming home and telling us that we need to hire somebody to make the story better. But I feel like we've done all the work on the story that needs to be done. In fact, that's one of the things we have a podcast where we tell stories and like 
a handful of people listen. So it might be the case that actually we don't need help on the story. Is that possible? Sure. I mean, I, I think that partly due to our just raging narcissism and partly due to our incredible talent, we have a problem with paying someone ten or $20,000 to tell our story for us because we feel that we know our story better and can tell it better. And I think there's, there's truth to both sides. But um, the other element is that we're going to make the wine relatively unique, I would say. We have to talk to the winemaker. He's in France right now getting inspiration. Um, and I don't know. Like we, we want it to be sparkling rosé to start off with. But um, we're feeling like we might have to uh, be serving the duck confit of wine in the, in the first edition. Do you feel like that, or, or do you think we, we're going to be able to talk our way into something sellable? We, we all want sparkling rosé in a can. I, I, I have not come across anyone in this life or the next who has ever told me they didn't want a can of sparkling rosé wine. So we're going to have ice-cold, uh, elegant cans of sparkling rosé. It's going to be delicious. It's going to have a great name. It's going to have a great story. It's going to have an attractive can. You're going to know the people who started it. You're going to want all of your friends to be drinking it. You can bring it to parties. You're going to have a lot of sex once you drink it. So, I mean, I think that's really all there is to know about it. I, I don't know why anyone wouldn't pay whatever price we decide to put on it. Which won't be a cheap one either. <laughs> We're feeling pretty good about it. Worst case scenario, we wind up with no wine in a can not friends with each other and out all of our money that we put into it. Best case scenario, we sell it to some other wine company 10 years from now and retire to Tehran or wherever we end up going. Oh, we could do the blimp project in Tehran. <laughs> there we go. We'll, we'll invest in blimps and, and blast 99 loose balloons down at the world below. Um, all right. So but all, all jokes aside, um, it's a, it's a project we take seriously. We're taking each other seriously on it. We spend a lot of time brainstorming and coming up with stuff about it. And we truly do hope that Tim decides that he does indeed want to include us on it. And I think instead of scratching his head and thinking that he can do everything himself or just not doing something. He doesn't think right. he, well, think he doesn't think do he can do things on his own. He would just prefer to not do them. Right. And part of our job is to just be the annoying whiplashers. But if you like this pod, you're going to get a dose of wine story. Let's just do a we'll, let's just do the wine update. We're doing the wine update every week. Totally. Totally. All right, that's it. Saul's got a date with an Asian and uh, I got to clean the house. So I think we got to go. Well, it's been fun. Good to talk. Good to catch up. And let's do same time next week. I love it. Um, thanks for getting back in the saddle. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, you know, strikes and gutters, as is always the case with any podcast. But we appreciate you being here to support us. Honestly, try to get three people at your next bar crawl to listen to our podcast. That's how this thing grows. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Happy Landline. Bye, everyone. Happy Memorial Day. Don't do anything fun. 
There you have it, folks. Once again, thank you so much. Landline Podcast. I'm Alex. Pitchfork Revolution does the music. Saul is in Berkeley. He loves going on one to two dates and then never having to go anywhere. So if you're a woman who needs a date in the Bay Area, call the landline 617-744-1895. More episodes coming up, including my wife and I's review of The Lobster with Colin Farrell and Rachel Wise. Have a good day. Adios. Bye.